Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, which is on page 1003 in the Church Bible. Jesus questioned about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to God's word this evening. The Lord says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us here in this passage. Father, thank you that there is so much wonderful truth here. And please will you help us by your spirit to see more of who your son is. Help us to see that in him, We can have the joy of knowing you through the forgiveness of sins. And we ask this in his name. Amen. The truth is, I need help. But I just can't imagine who. Who'd I be if I was happy? Maybe you recognize those songs from NF, his song Happy, from the album Hope. And the point that he's making in his song is that he's in fact not happy. I wonder if that's how you feel this evening. Maybe his words resonate with you, because as a society, I think we're seeing and hearing more and more that people, whether they're younger or older, are not happy. Perhaps we've become a bit disillusioned with the idea of happiness. We're aware of its brevity, of its aloofness, or maybe that it's just illusionary. Culturally, at the moment, I think that we identify more with being down and out, suffering, struggling. And perhaps there's good reason for that. The last number of years have been hard. We can think about that on a global level. You might think about that on a local level, or even personally, if you have good reason for it. What identifies you? What identifies you? What is, what is it that marks you out? And even as a Christian, what is it that marks you out? Is it happiness? Is it joy? Well, my hope this evening is that we would see afresh that Christians are people who are marked by joy. 
even in the midst of sorrow. Because this joy is more than just a feeling. It's about being and living in relationship with Jesus. And we have it because he has come to forgive our sins. Last week we saw that Jesus called people who were obviously sinners. In some uh, translations they have inverted commas, sinners. And Jesus said in verse 17 that he did this. He called people who were sinners himself because they are the ones who need a physician. They are the sick. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And the question that we are left with at the end of last week's passage is, if Jesus came for sinners, does that mean that the righteous are okay? Well, in this passage, we're given a comparison between Jesus' disciples, the sinners who are following him, and perhaps the religious people who appear to be righteous. And we're given this comparison to see how amazing Jesus is. And we're going to look at this passage in three points. Firstly, Jesus' disciples are different. Secondly, Jesus makes a difference. And then thirdly, because I was struggling to find the words, the difference Jesus makes for us. Um, first, let's look at our first point. Verse 18, some people come to Jesus and they ask him a question um, because they notice that Jesus' disciples are different. Their question is, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now on the surface, the question has to do with a religious practice. Why were Jesus' disciples not doing something that was expected by, well, everyone else? It was widely practiced. Those who listened to John the Baptist's teaching and those who listened to the Pharisees were fasting, but Jesus' disciples did not. In the Old Testament, fasting was an outward expression of mourning, of turning to the Lord in dependence on Him. It was a reflection of sorrow and humility. And as a way of expressing their sorrow and humility, people would often wear sackcloth or put ash on their head to show that they were mourning, they were sad. And if you weren't feeling sad, well, the, the sackcloth would have done a good job because it was a coarse bag, like hessian. Have you ever had hessian on you? It's scratchy and irritable. And so, well, if you didn't feel sad, you would eventually feel sad enough. In Matthew chapter 6, um, we also see that at this time when uh, Jesus was around, it was normal for people to look sad or mournful or gloomy or down in the dumps when they were fasting. And the Pharisees, well, they fasted twice a week. But in verse 19, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue and he says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, you might be planning to go to a wedding soon. Um, guys, don't worry. You don't have to go and look for a nice suit. Just get a scratchy bag. Put that on. Um, or ladies, maybe just smudge your eyeliner a bit. That'll do. Um, and instead of going to Meadow Hall to go and look for a dress, well, just go to the kitchen drawers and, you know, dig out the plastic bags. Because what Jesus is saying here is exactly that the, the Pharisees' expectation of what the disciples were not doing was like people who are going to a wedding party. Why fast? Why be sad when the bridegroom is around? 
And Jesus is saying that his disciples don't fast. Well, because they're like people at a wedding party. They're happy. They're joyful. But the religious people are like those who are sad. You see, religious people, the, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, were the ones who were, for example, wearing a black bag to a wedding. What is it that marks you out as different? Maybe it is your clothing, or a habit, or your demeanor. I think NF puts his finger on it when he says that a lot of people identify with suffering or some difficulty that they face. Now, it's really a good thing, and I think it's commendable, actually, in, with younger people today that I've noticed more and more, is that there's an honesty, there's a vulnerability about sufferings. Um, not trying to hide it or cover it over or um, pretend like it's not there. I think it's a good thing that we are vulnerable and honest. But is that something that identifies you? As a Christian, what is it that shows people you are different? Is it joy? As a church, are we known for our joy? And Christians should be noticeably different. We should be joyful in comparison. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that Christians are never sad. I'm not saying that Christians never mourn. I'm not even saying that Christians are sometimes down in the dumps or just feeling a bit blue. The Bible teaches, and it doesn't teach, in fact, anywhere, that we should pretend to be happy. It does not teach that we should pretend to be happy when we are struggling and suffering and hurt and experience sorrow and sadness and difficulty in life. Or when we are looking to the Lord for comfort and for help. We certainly don't see that in Jesus' life particularly when we read the Gospels. And there are times, as Christians, that we suffer. There are times when we struggle or we mourn our sin. Jesus anticipated, in fact, that his disciples would mourn, and they would, in fact, fast because we sin, and because we live in a world that is broken by sin. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus points this out, and he says, because of our sin and because of living in a broken world, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus knew that we would mourn in this world. And here, in fact, in verse 20, he says, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now, I think he's speaking specifically about his death when he will go and die on the cross and when his disciples will mourn because he's not with them. But even in Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus anticipated that his disciples would fast more generally. And so Jesus doesn't deny that we would mourn in this life. But his disciples are to be different because of joy rather than mourning. Joy is meant to be the melody of our lives. And this is a joy that we have because we have hope in Jesus coming. It's a joy that is rooted in hope. It's not necessarily a feeling, but it's one of hope. And so when we mourn, we have joy 
and we have the joy of hope, not in place of our suffering or our mourning, not in denial of it. Why were Jesus' disciples so different? Why were they so different? And what is this joy that they have, and why should we have it too? Well, let's see, secondly, that Jesus makes the difference. Jesus makes the difference. John the Baptist and the Pharisees' followers were obvious, sorry, observably religious. And they were also observably sad. We go back to the Old Testament to understand why people fasted. Um, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 26, the law required that a fast happened once a year on the Day of Atonement to mourn for sin. It was Israel mourning for their sin when a sacrifice was made so their sin was covered and cleansed. And by the end of the Old Testament, for example, in Joel chapter 1, we see that Israel were called to fast and mourn because of their sin of idolatry. They turned away from the Lord. But also they were to fast because there was a day coming, the day of the Lord. They were waiting for a day when the Lord would come and he would judge and he would bring in his kingdom. And presumably John's disciples were fasting because of what he taught in Mark chapter 1 verse 4, to repent for the forgiveness of sins. You see, they were waiting. They were waiting for God to come and to bring his forgiveness of sins and to bring in his kingdom. And fasting was a way of showing God, maybe even proving to God, that you wanted to turn to him. You were sincere. You wanted to be forgiven, and you wanted him to turn to you and to keep his promises and to come and to forgive his people and to bring in his kingdom and end suffering and death in this world. Jesus doesn't say that fasting is wrong. He's not saying it's wrong to feel remorse for sin or mourn for suffering. He is saying, though, that he makes a difference to how we think about these things and therefore how we think about God. He makes a difference. And he gives two reasons why in these verses. The first is because he came. Because he came. He says in chapter 2, verse 19, let me read it again. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. To kind of paraphrase Jesus, he's saying, look, I bring the party. It's not the right time to carry on being sad because of who I am. I'm the bridegroom. Again, in the Old Testament, God spoke of himself as the husband of his people, Israel. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, he said, For your maker is your husband. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. And he said this in the context of Israel continuing to reject him for their idolatry. They turned away from him as their husband, and they turned to Others, idols, who they look to for security and hope and a future. But because he is their husband, he loves his people and he desires to bring them back to himself. So he says in Isaiah 54 verse 8, 
In, overf- in overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. But Jesus is saying that He is God, He is your Creator. He is the Lord of Israel and he's come to bring sinful people who've turned away from him and turned their backs on him back into relationship with himself. Back into his kingdom. Secondly, we need to see that Jesus makes a difference because he forgives sin. In verse 20 to 22, The point that Jesus is making here is that he brings something new that doesn't fit with the old. The old things, they break, they burst. They can't contain what is new. It can't contain the joy of the new thing that he's bringing. New wine was an important, again, Old Testament image. Um, In Isaiah 25, verse 6, the Lord said, that on Mount Zion, the place where he would finally establish his kingdom. He said he would make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. It pointed to a time when that God's people were waiting for, when the Lord would come to his people. He would establish his kingdom. He would save them so that they would be in relationship with him. He would save them from their sin, from their idolatry, from their enemies. And there would be no more death or pain or suffering. And God would be with his people forever. And they would be happy. There would be joy. Isn't that what we're all looking for? A time when things are made right? when you can just stop being tired of the relentlessness of life, when you don't have to look forward to a time when you will grieve or feel pain or anger or loss. Well, this is what Israel was waiting for. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, well, God brings these big ideas together, these themes together, because he says there that he's going to do something new in how he relates to his people. It's not going to fit with how he did things in the past. And in Jeremiah 31, we read that the Lord is bringing something new because he is the husband of his people. And he will do this so that his people will be in relationship with him again. And they will be with him forever in his kingdom. And in verse 34, he says that he will do this because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus, the Lord, has come. He was saying that we don't have to be sad or mourn because of sin and suffering like we have no hope. We don't have to show God or convince God to forgive us. We don't have to show him or convince him to stop suffering in this world, to stop death in this world, to keep his promises to bring in his kingdom. 
Jesus has come to do all those things. And he's saying he was there in front of them to do exactly that. I wonder how you see God. Is he someone who you think needs to be convinced or made to feel enough pity or see how sorry you are for your sin that then he will forgive you? Or do you need to prove how much you deserve to be forgiven? Or in your mourning and in your sadness, do you, do you bring that to God to show how unjust life is and that he'll have pity on you? Jesus' followers here, they understand that everyone, especially themselves, are sinners who've turned away from God. They're like a woman who has cheated on their husband turn their back on him, and, and he's left them. But because he loves them, he comes back to them wearing a wedding suit to forgive and to bring them into relationship with himself. See, the religious people here, they're like the cheating wife who calls and texts and leaves voice notes to say I'm so how sorry they are. But when their husband comes back, they continue to do that, not because they're sorry, but to prove a point, to prove that they deserved him to come back. And we can be like that too. And some people, well, some people aren't even sorry. Jesus has come. We need to see that God cares far more than we do about having a relationship with him. He cares far more to deal with our sin and to forgive us than we care about being forgiven. He cares far more about bringing in his kingdom so that we will be with him than we do. You see, he died on the cross. Jesus came to die on the cross. We don't need to convince him to forgive us. We don't need to demonstrate in any way that he should forgive us. Rather, he came to convince us, to show us, to demonstrate to us how much he loved us. Pete referred to this verse this morning, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I think it's the Lord's will for us to hear this this evening because when I, I typed this sermon up on Friday and I put this verse in here, God has demonstrated for us his own love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died to deal with our sin to bring us into relationship with him and so that we would have a future hope of being in his kingdom. In Jesus, we see God's unfathomable, relentless love despite our sin, despite our rejection of him. And he pursues us in his love. And he comes to us to bring us to himself. And he shows us this when his son died ultimately 
on the cross in our place. Well, I want us to see thirdly the difference Jesus makes for us. You might be here this evening and you're not regular to church. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I wonder how do you think about yourself and God? You might not be sure that there even is a God. That's okay. I'm glad that you at least have that question and you're here to find out more. That's a good place to be. But maybe you mostly enjoy your life. You, you kind of think, well, God doesn't really have much to do with my life. And in fact, in comparison to Christians, I feel a lot happier most of the time. But if that is you, can I ask you to look at Jesus, to see what he's saying here about himself, to see that he's claiming to be God, who's come to forgive sin so that we can know him. We're going to carry on and hearing people's questions and see people bringing their questions to Jesus. Let me encourage you, if if you're here tonight with questions, to keep coming back, to keep bringing your questions to Jesus and asking him who he is and why he came. Next week, we're going to see more of who he is. But as we go on in Mark's gospel, we see that he died on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And if this is who he is, if he is our God, if he is our maker, if he has come to deal with our sin, then we must take seriously what he has to say about who we are and what we are like and our relationship with him. You might think of yourself as someone who's quite religious. But what is the mark of your religious practice? Is it joy? Or is it trying to prove to God that you're good enough? That you're trying to convince Him to draw near to you? Friends, what's more important than saying sorry to Jesus is saying thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you came and died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin. Well, we might be here this evening and as a Christian, you, you actually really want to say to me, Justin, I, know, I hear what you're saying. I hear that joy is a mark of the Christian life. But I'm not joyful. Maybe you're tired. You're so tired that you, you can't feel anything, actually. You don't know how you're going to bring yourself to a point where you can feel happy again. Life has knocked you around so much and sapped you of so much of your energy that you're just worn out. And you just, very little, leaves you feeling empty. Or maybe you're grieving. Those in our church family who are grieving at the moment from an immediate loss. Maybe it's something that you're feeling right in this moment. Or maybe it's a grief that you've had for a number of years. It's just this feeling that won't go away. It's overwhelming. It's strong. How will you get rid of it? Or maybe you're angry. 
life hasn't worked out the way that you'd hoped for or that you'd planned or expected. Maybe someone you love has been treated really badly and you just feel like life is unfair or in fact you would dare to say God is unfair. He's taken too much. And it might feel like things have gone so wrong that you don't know if you can trust anyone, even him again. And you're right to be angry. And so maybe hearing that joy is what marks out God's people makes you feel actually just quite guilty and disheartened. Brother and sister, let me say, if that's you, in the midst of suffering and sorrow, we can have joy because the joy that we have is not just a feeling. It's the joy of the hope of knowing Jesus in that suffering. That is the joy that the disciples had, that the Lord was with them. And that is our joy too as Christians. It's a joy that goes beyond just how we feel. It's a joy of hope. And it means that in that suffering, we can bring to him how we're feeling. We can bring to him our our grief, our sorrow, our anger, our loss, our tiredness. Because it's in the face of our sin and in the brokenness of this world that we see in his son that he has done everything to forgive us so that we can know him, so that we can have the hope of eternal life with him, where one day there will not be any suffering or sorrow or pain or loss or grief or tiredness. Do you have that joy? And if you don't, well then turn to him because he's waiting for you to do that. He came for you. You might be going well as a Christian. What is it that marks you out as a Christian? Is it joy? Or is it just Christian activity? A certain busyness that you have? Because you feel you need to prove to Jesus that you're grateful for all that he's done for you. Because if you don't, then, well, he might be upset with you. He's forgiven you. You're free. You don't need to prove anything to Jesus. We don't need to demonstrate anything. He's demonstrated to us his love for us in his Son. Students, let me ask you, what's going to mark you out on campus this week? Is it your joy in the Lord, the fact that you know him? Why is it that, are are people going to ask, why are you guys different? What makes you different to the other religious people on, on campus? And when they do, will you tell them that it's Jesus? I know you will. We pray that you will. And how should we think about this time of Lent as Christians? You may, you know, maybe 
you, you take this time seriously, and that's a good thing. A time where you are reflective on your, and reflecting on your sin, and you're, you're mourning your sin, or you're turning to the Lord. Let it be a time that's marked not just with sorrow, but with joy, because there's hope as we look towards Easter. Will that be our demeanor? Just imagine who we'd be if we see who Jesus is. And imagine what people will ask. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us in your Son. And thank you that in him we see your great love for us and the hope that we have in him. Amen.